Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. From July the 1st, 10 race programs will become the norm at Sydney's Saturday race meetings. This is the result of the introduction of midway races for horses trained in the smaller metro and provincial stables. Midway races will carry $100,000 in prize money, as will the tab highways up from $75,000, while normal Saturday races will go to $130,000. Country Sky 1 races will go to $24,000, Sky 2 races to $15,000, and Country Non-Tab to $10,000. Another 20 meetings will be added to the Country Showcase Series, where minimum stakes will be $30,000. Feature races to receive a prize money boost are the Epsom to 1.5 million and the time on at Villiers goes from 250 to 750,000. The English sales this year have produced unbelievable figures at both ends of the market, a clear indicator that many new owners are coming into the industry as individuals, as members of smaller ownership groups or as members of larger syndicates formed by recognised syndication companies. You don't have to own winks to cover all X's and to have a lot of fun in town, on the provincials or on the country circuit. There's never been a better time to go racing in New South Wales. I was absolutely delighted when Neville Begg agreed to join me on the podcast for a long overdue chat. Coming up 89 years of age, the former champion trainer enjoys reasonably good health, although he's happy to confess he has slowed down a bit in recent times. Had he not slowed down a little, it would have been very difficult to get this man to sit still long enough to conduct a comprehensive interview. Neville Begg was a working dynamo during his 60-year involvement with horses, and I recall somebody telling me once that at the height of his Sydney training career, he'd had two weeks off in 27 years. Neville relinquished his licence on returning to Sydney in 1996 after a successful six years as a jockey club trainer in Hong Kong. He has maintained a keen interest ever since, and not long ago, his name was back up in lights as the owner, breeder and syndicate manager of the brilliant sprinter written by, winner of the 2018 Blue Diamond Stakes. Neville Begg is online to talk to us on this podcast, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome him. Neville, thanks for your time. Good afternoon, John. Thank you. Talking about written by Nev, he won six from 11 before being retired to Widden Stud. Did you intend to retire him that early or did an offer come? John, uh, we did not intend to retire him so quickly, but uh, he was completely sound uh, and an offer came from just standard Widden Stud, which is a wonderful establishment and uh, we took the, the opportunity to, uh, to do that and uh, he's already served a full book of mares for the first season, mm. and I believe he's a, a very large number in foal. Mm. You've been to see him recently too. Yes, John. We went up uh, last weekend and looked at the uh, horse, and he looks in great order. And although they're going through a you know, serious drought, all the mares look in fantastic order, and they're beautifully looked after. He was a brilliant and precocious two-year-old. Uh, with a blue diamond win and a very good fourth in the golden slipper, and he finished close up in some really good Group One races as a three-year-old. Yes, John, he um, he ran fourth in the in the Coolmore Stakes down the down the straight, which he ran very well in. Mm. Um, and as you said, he ran fourth to close up fourth in the stripper. It was very very good runs, and uh, previously he'd, he'd won the Pago Pago Stakes. Uh, uh, the Blue Diamond, the Blue Diamond Prelude. He, he'd, he'd done very, very well as an early two-year-old mm. and uh, we were hoping he could c- continue as a three-year-old, uh, but the offer came to go to start and we took it. Yep. Another very good horse you raced was all silent. 
who won eight races in all for about $1.6 million. He won a couple of Group 1s, both at Flemington. He started out in Hong Kong with John Size, but he didn't show much there, Neff. John, uh, no, I bought him for the uh, clients in Hong Kong, and he, he went to John, and John was very patient with him. He, uh, he, he just he laid down for me the first 12 months that he got there, and he, uh, mm. then eventually he trialled him a couple of times. He didn't show much at all, mm. and uh, they did, eventually decided to retire him and replace him, which you can do if your horse is not living up to uh, expectations. And so they called me and let me know what they were going to do, and so I offered to buy the horse, mm. and they accepted my offer. And um, we come back and we gave him a trial and Graham said, oh, look, he might win a maiden, you know, and then one day he put blinkers on him mm. and the horse changed dramatically. He won his first start and went on from there and become a very successful horse. Mm. He loved coming off a good speed, never, didn't he? Oh, look, one of his wins at Flemington was outstanding, John. He came from virtually last mm. and, uh, and brained them, you know, he, he really won very, very well. And he he won the, um, the the mile Emirates Stakes the first year of his big wins, and he came back the next year and he won the uh, the twelve hundred meter race. Oh yeah. So he you know he's very versatile. You've got a talented two year old Hinchinbrook filly in Melbourne at the moment called Mildred, which was Emancipation Stable name. Now Mildred won two early races at Flemington. You've given her a little break and she's just back in work now with your son, Graham. Yes, John, I, I, I picked her out at the yearling sales with Graham, and we, uh, I, I, only wrote, I wrote one thing in, in my book, two-year-old, mm. and that's what she looked like to me at the sales. She'd been well, very well prepared, and uh, my middle book stud, and uh, they'd done a great job with her, and I, I purchased her, and uh, Graham took her to Melbourne, and... Um, we had educated here in Sydney first, and then we we sent Matt Bella at Hawkesbury did a great job educating her. Mm. And when Graham got her, he said, "Look, Dad, she's a natural. She just does everything correctly." And we took her to races, and of course, she won first up, and then um, she won again down the straight. So she shows some promise. Mm. So we we're hoping that she'll back up again uh, this year and uh, be a chance in some of the better races. It's not generally known that you're a Novocastrian, born and reared in Newcastle, and you got your early education with an old-time trainer and a pretty smart old-time trainer called Ray Cashman. That, that's correct, John. Yeah, I was born in Newcastle, and my grandfather was a, a trainer. He trained a very good filly called Tibby, mm-hmm. who the race is named after now, and uh, uh, two of my Mother's brothers were both jockeys, and uh, they, uh, one of them, Eric, he was leading jockey in Newcastle for many years, and also rode in India for quite a few years. And uh, and as I grew up, I wanted to be a jockey, and um, I was riding track work when I was virtually uh, about thirteen years old at, uh, for Mr. Cashman, and uh, mm. and I carried on from there. And I then my mother said, "Oh, if you're going to." want to be a jockey, you've got to go to Sydney. So I contacted Mr McCartan and uh, arranged to go down for a, a trial period. And then as, as soon as I could finish school, I, I did that and I went straight to Sydney. And um, I started work with Mr McCartan in 1945 and uh, I stayed there for 22 years. 1945 uh, was the year you started your apprenticeship. That, that's correct. Mm. I had a few rides and races. Couldn't ride much, got a bit heavier, and uh, then went on and stayed on as a stable hand. Um, then I started breaking in, and then um, we had a very, very good foreman called Bill Jarvis, mm. who turned out a very, uh, was an excellent trainer himself. Um, he went away to America with, with one of our horses, and uh, and then I took over while he was away, and then Bill took out his trainer's licence and I carried on as foreman. Mm. Now, for the younger people listening to our podcast, Neville, just a a quick resume of the deeds of Morris McCartan. He was born in 1902 in New Zealand. He won two jockeys premierships there before settling in Sydney. 
He went on to ride 1,000 winners in Australia. He won the 1938-39 Sydney Jockeys Premiership. His big race record was astounding in an era where there was no such thing as group classification. Now, just very quickly, Nev, and you'll be interested in this, in 19 years of riding in Sydney, he won two Doncasters, two Epsoms, two Sydney Cups, two Australian Cups, three Doomban Cups, four Brisbane Cups, four AJC Derbies, two Victoria Derbies, a Metropolitan, a Newmarket, a Stradbroke. I've only scratched the surface. I mean, he would never have highlighted his own achievements, but he must have been a huge name in his time. John is a very conservative man, but he was, as you said, an outstanding jockey, an outstanding horseman. And um, when when I went to work for him, he was very, very meticulous in uh, the preparation of his horses. We had a couple of older horses when I first went there, a horse called Shining Knight. Um... I, I think he uh, he belonged to the gentleman who used to do the Ginger Meggs cartoons. Um, we had another old horse called Kyrie, who I had my first race ride on. He, he won an Epsom. Uh, I took him to Grafton in 1947 mm. to win the Grafton Cup. We went up by train. It's a long trip. And uh, he won the... Um, Diggum Grouty rode him. He won the uh, Grafton Cup in 1947. Mm. And then we, the next year we got a very good filly come along called Sweet Charm. Yep. And she won the Jim Crack. She won the Caulfield Thousand Guineas. She won the Oaks. She's very, very good race mare. McCartan acquired his trainer's licence in 1942 and went on to win four Sydney premierships. He finished second to Tommy Smith ten times. He was a very softly spoken man, Neville, wasn't he? There was nothing rowdy or boisterous about him. No, no, he's a very gentle man and uh, he, uh, he was respected by everybody that came, came in touch with him and, um, and of course, then we had a great Neville Sawood come to, come to ride mm. for us. That was a, a great uh, boom to the stable. You know, Neville was a great, great horseman and a good jockey and, uh, mm. and very successful. You rode the famous racehorse and sire, Todman, in a lot of his track work. Now, firstly, you tell me he was a devil to buck on his way home from the track. John, I rode him in the big saddle almost up till the time he raced because he would drop you on the way home, you know, if you um, <laughs> weren't alert all the time. You know, he, he was a very strong colt yeah. and uh, just had a sort of... Room of his own, you know, but he, we soon realised that he had ability. And uh, the first time we we gave him the jump out, the the, the jump outs, he jumped out with another colt and they cleared out and beat the other by a hundred yards. Mm. But the other one was a horse called Gold Stakes. Oh, wasn't he quick? He <laughs> was a very very fast horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. On the on the new market, and he was, he was a very very good horse. And well, yeah. he and Todman jumped out together one morning. Yeah. Unbeknown to us at that time, they both unraced, you know, and uh, so we we soon learned that he had a lot of ability. He won his he won his first race in December, yeah. uh, and he broke the Australian record for thousand metres, won by ten lengths, mm. and then he won the December stakes, and we rested him mm. and uh, for a little bit because he started he was Mitchinsville, mm. and. Um, Mr. McCartan gave him as much time as he could when he came back. They didn't have a lead-up race, and then the slipper was in its infancy. That was the first time it ever been run, mm. so there was no idea of having lead-up races. So he ran in an open-class welter, uh. and uh, he beat a very, very good horse called, uh, I think, Leo Sullivan training called Newspeck. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a very smart horse, and Todman won an open-class welter. And we had another good filly at the same time called Concert Star, mm. and she did a similar thing. She won a, an open-class welter at Canterbury, and she eventually ran third to Todman in, in the slipper and was a good filly in her own right. Mm. Well, Todman won the slipper, the very first golden slipper, by eight lengths. He loved a fancy margin, didn't he? He did. Uh, in fact, um, his owner, Mr Wooden, 
I think reprimanded Neville for winning so easily. I think Mr. Wooden liked to have a little wager occasionally, oh. and uh, Neville won, gave him a kick in the ribs, and he won by 10 uh, at his first start, personally. And, uh, and I think Mr. Wooden reprimanded Neville for winning so easily. It was against the handicappers. Uh, mm. <laughs> weighting program, you know, that uh, if you win by a big margin, you get more weight. But so... Two, two weeks after the slipper, he stepped up to the seven furlongs of the Sires Produce Stakes. Now, Tullock beat Todman in the Sires Produce Stakes. Many were disappointed in Todman on the day, Nev, but I don't think they realised how good Tullock was. No, well, Tullock has uh, had won two or three races, including Sires Produce in, in Melbourne, and he came up and he didn't run, run in the slipper. Um, he dodged it and run in another race and uh, he met Todman who was backing up fairly quickly we wasn't used to backing up so quickly and uh, and he beat him in the uh, in the and then in those days the champagne stakes was over 1200 metres six mm. hills yeah it was on all the Wednesday following the size and um, Todman turned the tables there he won very comfortably and beat but, uh, they were the only two times they met John, you know, so oh. uh, they had a win each. Yeah, one each. And, and when, he, uh, when he won the champagne stakes, he beat Tullock by six lengths coming back to the shorter trip. Now, he came back as a spring three-year-old Nev to win the Hobartville stakes very easily. Then he stepped up to nine and a half furlongs in the Canterbury Guineas, struggled a bit in that. He only won that by eight lengths. And he beat a subsequent Epsom winner called Turkestan in the Canterbury Guineas. That's right. Well, in those days, Canterbury was a, was a bit of a sharper track than it is today. Mm. Uh, and he loved going around the corners and the, uh, he, he put the gap in them and won it very easily. Mm. How, did he, how did he travel over the longer trip, Nev? Did he get too keen? Oh, no, no. He, he settled down pretty good. He, I, I think from memory... Pretty well led all the way, you know, and uh, they'll just let him stride and he just kept going. Mm. He missed the Rose Hill Guineas won by Tullock. Why didn't he run in the Rose Hill Guineas? I think Mr. Whitten decided to, uh, that he didn't want him to carry the, I think it was eight stone, ten they carried then mm. in the Rose Hill Guineas and run him in the, at weight for age. So I think he ran in the Hill Stakes from That's memory. Right. Yes, he had 48 and a half kilos in the hill stakes and he finished fourth of five, but he broke down and it was obviously serious because he wasn't seen for two years. Yeah, he, he cracked the bone in his hind leg, John, mm. and um, uh, Mr. Whitten had him operated on um, and also then we rested him for a long time and when he was going back into pre-training, he went, back to Ernie Fellows at Warwick Farm and Ernie Fellows pre-trained him and took him took him in the river up at Warwick Farm and swam him and, and all sorts of things. And then when we got him back to uh, fitness again, he came back to Mr McCartan and we, uh, he only had three starts. He'd run at Canterbury, he carried about nine stone five. Yeah. At, at his first start back and he broke the Canterbury track record. Mm. Um, didn't win by as big a space as he had been, but and then we took him to Melbourne and he uh, he won the Lightning Stakes, and then he backed up and won the Futurity. So that he won his only three starts when he on his return. You know? Yep. Now he was lame after the Futurity, and the curtain came down on a short but spectacular racing career. The mighty Todman. He was a sensation at the stud. He spent part of his career at Widden and part of it at Barrymore where he's buried. He was a champion sire of racehorses, a great sire of sires, and a wonderful brood mare sire, and his influence has been enormous. And I'm talking to the man who rode him in a great deal of his track work. You must think of him, Nev, in your quiet moments. John, uh, you know, you never forget those times when you had, uh, with those great horses, you know, he was just as a... As you say, he was just a remarkable horse, uh, the deeds that he did and, and the fact that he could come back after such a long layoff and do and, and win in top-class company. 
I want to get your recollections of the best mare Morris McCartan got to train, and I refer to that beautiful chestnut with the flaxen mane and tail known as Winona Girl. She raced a lot, Nev. She had 68 starts in four years. She won 27 of them with 26 placings, and 15 of the wins were in races which are today classified as Group 1s. She had a couple of little quirks, you tell me. John, from the time she came from into the stables from the, from the sales and then broken in, uh, she <clears throat> had this uh, walking the box problem. She used to walk the box continuously. Yeah. She's like a tiger in a cage. She'd just walk and walk and... Um, when she'd have a gallop or a race, she'd just come home and she'd walk. We had to keep tie, we'd tie her up so she couldn't stop her from walking for about an hour till she relaxed and settled down. Mm. Um, so, and then <clears throat> she had this unusual thing. I used to ride her down to the track of an afternoon walk exercise. She'd go, she'd go 50 yards. Mm. And then pull up and and look yep. into the into the distance. You'd go another fifty yards and do the same thing again. And uh, she did that continuously until she got put a foot on the track, and away she goes. Yep. She never ever stopped on the track. She was just just a little machine when she went, went on the track. She was beautiful, beautiful to ride. She was that quiet when she was. A two-year-old before she ever raced. All the all the kids that couldn't ride much used to ride at work. Goodness or, So that she was a quite a source out about our yearlings. And one day Neville saw it had a ride on. They give a tap around the tail with a with a stick, and a, she never looked back. She she went on from there. She won the Jim Crack, and, yeah. and, and you know a record. She had a great record. She wasn't really a stayer, but she won the AJC Oaks by six lengths. She was so superior to fillies of her own age. Yes, yeah, she she won the Oaks quite comfortably. Um, that was that was the longest journey she ever ran over, of course. But she was more of a sprinter. See, she she won the Lightning Stakes, a thousand metres at Flemington. Uh, she won the, the George Adams Mile, I think, and and uh, she she was she, she was just a great. Uh, uh, versatile whole filly could run mm. short distances, run over a mile, and, and uh, she was just a top class mare and raced top class horses all my life. Yes, horses like Aquanita, Sky High, mm. you know, uh, all the all the top class horses. Nev, sadly, her deeds on the track eclipsed her achievements as a broodmare, but she did produce one filly that could gallop a bit. John, uh, she produced filly um, that I trained called Special Girl. Mm. It was a very prolifically fast two-year-old. You know, she could. Uh, she won her first start by a big margin. She won first uh, about three three on end. George Moore was riding her, and we were very confident she went to the Golden Slipper unbeaten. Uh, but unfortunately, that day she ran into what's called Bain. I'll say, not that she saw much of it. And, uh, and she ran well. She ran ran just beyond the place getters. But we, subsequently, we found she had tip bones in the knees, and uh, mm. she was operated on uh, and came back. And um, after she recovered from that, but she's never saw attained the heights we'd hoped. She won several races. Um, but she, she never became what we hoped she might have been. Neville Beggar's already paid tribute to the late, great Neville Selwood, who was Morris McCartan's stable jockey in the late 40s right through to the early 60s. Now, how did you rate him, Neville? You've seen all of the greats, and Selwood was a contemporary of George Moore's, of course. Uh, many of the old-timers have told me there wasn't a split match between them. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely, uh, John. Neville was a, a superb rider, you know, a poli- polished horseman, I'd say. You know, uh, he went overseas and rode very, very successfully overseas and unfortunately lost his life there. Um, but uh, when Neville first came down to us, he'd, he'd had a broken leg 
and uh, was on crutches. And the first time I'd ever met him, and he uh, he went back to, to Queensland to sort of recover from that and started writing work up there again before he came back. And unfortunately, jumped off one and the leg broke again. Uh. So that that gave him another setback. And then he eventually come down and uh, and be. Began to ride for us, and I remember he had a run of outs, you know. Mm. And, and one one person said to Mr. McCartan, "Morris, if you don't get with that fellow, you'll send your broke," you know. But from there on, Neville never looked back. He he no. uh, he rode. He won a couple of Melbourne Cups. He rode all the top class horses that were about at the time. Yeah. He's riding for Tommy Smith and all of our better horses, you know. So uh, he was a great jockey. And he went on to win an English derby on a horse called Larkspur. Now, he lost his life in a race fall in Paris in 1962, and that news rocked the Australian racing world. The news came through very early in the morning. I think you heard a radio news flash. John, that's right. Uh, Neville had a fall at Maison Lafitte, and uh, unfortunately... Um he ruptured his spleen, I think, was the, uh, the final um, cause of his death. And uh, I, I, heard, I, I used to listen to the news before I went to, to work and at four o'clock news, and a news flash come over, and oh, I was frightened to tell Mr McCart, you know. Mm. I, I just went down and I told him he'd had a bad fall, you know. Oh, did you? And, yeah. um, and um, as it come out later on that he died, you know, and uh, it was very, very sad news. He had one... It, they brought uh, Neville's body back to uh, to Randwick and had a massive funeral. Mm. Um, I remember they closed Avoca Street and Randwick off, you know, for the funeral courthouse, mm. and it was, it was a very sad time. In your earliest years with Morris McCartan, you would ride afternoon exercise and you'd mingle with horses from other stables. I've been dying to ask you about this one. You often rode alongside... A dynamic galloper from Toowoomba who had arrived in Sydney with a bang and was on his way to 15 straight wins. Now, Nev, to this day, you rate Burnborough as the best horse you've ever seen. Well, Johnny is a magnificent horse, you know. Um, he's looked after by a gentleman called Ned Cullen. Mm. And Ned, Ned, Ned used to ride him down at an afternoon and would walk exercise. Had a huge exercise ring just over it behind the mile shoot uh, uh, at Randwick. And they, he used to come down up the hill from up top of Cowper Street there where Mr. Um, East Flanders stables were and uh, would walk exercise there. And he was just a lovely horse. And mm. I say today, you know, there's not many horses that could, can do what he did. You know, he... He, um, he he lost his first start. He ran, ran a Canterbury's first start, and I think he ran fourth. Dicker McGrath rode him, and yeah. from there on, George Mulley rode him, and uh, he never looked back. He he won Newmarket in Victoria, carried a big weight. He went to Brisbane. He won the Doombin 10,000 with, well, I think, more than 10 stone mm. on one Saturday, and he backed up won the Doombin Cup the following Saturday. Yeah. So... 1,200 metres one Saturday, 11 furlongs 11 11 the next Saturday. You know, there's not many horses could do that. Yeah. With yeah. the massive weights, mm. massive weights he carried, you know. Neville, there wouldn't be too many blokes uh, in the land, in the nation or in the world for that matter, uh, who could be telling me in a podcast interview in 2019 that they rode exercise alongside Burnborough. No, this... Fortunately, there's not too many of us left around these days, uh, John, but there's plenty of people saw him race, you know, so I'm sure he, he lives in the memory of a lot of people. What triggered your decision to go out on your own as a trainer? How did it all unfold? Well, John, I, I, I never really uh, expected to do it, but um, things were sort of slowing down a bit at Mr McCartan's and... I, I happened to say to one of my owners one day, you know, I, I might have to try training myself one day. He said, well, whatever you do, we'll, I'll back you up, you know. So mm. that was Mr. Bill Graff, who uh, he had a couple of horses with Mr. McCartan at the time, and uh, one horse was a horse called Bird Star. Mm. And he, uh, 
when I decided to do it, I went down to the AJC office and I put in for my licence and obviously was granted it straight away. Um, and then um, when that happened, well, Bridge Star was transferred to me and Mr. Mr. Ellison from Barrowville started. He also supported me mm. and he gave me a couple of fillies and that. So I started off actually with four horses and I, uh, I, I rented some stables with Mr. Cecil Rolls. Yep. He's a great trainer and mm. um, started out from there and I happened to be at the AJC office not long after and I saw Mr. Derek Glasgow and I said, uh, I knew they were building more stables on the course and I said to Mr. Glasgow, would there be any chance of getting a stable on the course? He said, have you put in an application? I said, no, sir. And he said, do it today. So I put it in and I, I fortunately was granted a stable straight away, you know, and, mm. and uh, I was fortunate to, uh, to get enough horses to fill them up, you know. You got your hands on a very good one not long after going out on your own. Now, Dick Roden, himself a very good trainer, became ill and he had to take a break from training. Now, he actually owned one of the horses you got to train and how good was he? Divide and rule. Yes, well, John, it was a funny story because I I got a a call to go to the AJC offices. I had to see the committee. So um, I said, well, what have I done wrong? You know, and I was was really a bit panic-stricken and I... uh, I got dressed up and I went down and I said to the desk, where do I go to the committee? I'll go upstairs to the committee room. Uh, so when I got up there, there was only one committeeman. And uh, the, the gentleman said to me, he said, oh, Mr. Begg, um, we'd like you to take over Mr. Raiden's stables. I said, well, yes, sir, I'd be pleased to do it. Um, he said, there'll be two horses there. So you, we want you to take over the, the horses and the stable. I said, well, thank you very much, Sue. I'm pleased to do it. And it turned out to be one was Divide and Rule, mm. who won the AJC Derby, mm. and the other one was a filly called Affectionate, who I won the Queensland Oaks with. So they were two nice horses to, to take over with, you know. Absolutely. And and it's, it's good to remind people uh, listening so many years after the event that this is the man, Neville Begg, who actually saddled up divide and rule to win the AJC Derby in the late 60s with Derby McCarthy on board. Your reputation as a great trainer of fillies and mares emerged pretty early in your career. Now, because you trained for many breeders over the years, maybe you trained more mares than most trainers, but you also got on very well with them. What was your rule of thumb with fillies and mares, Neville? John, to be truthful, I, I didn't do a great deal different. I obviously didn't uh, go up them too hard, and I, I was a bit, bit soft on them probably. Didn't ride them all the time. We led them off ponies a lot. And kept them happy and treated them like a lady, you told me once. The nice and happy and fresh, and uh, mm. they seemed to respond to that, you know. So I, I was pretty fortunate um, to get a lot of... Uh, Phillies that the breeders had kept to themselves, you know, and uh, and we were lucky enough to be success, successful with a lot of them. Neville, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in a moment. Weanlings by several high-profile stallions will go under the hammer at the Inglis Great Southern Sale on June 13th and 14th at Oaklands Junction. Weanlings by capitalist exceed and excel more than ready, zoo star, written tycoon, Piero, extreme choice, flying arty, Lonro and Dundeal are just a few of the sires represented. First season sires with progeny in the sale include Justify, trapeze artist, Grunt, written by Brave Smash, Harry Angel, National Defence, Sioux Nation and Mendelssohn. This is the sale where horses like Gitra, Montefilia, Behemoth and On The Bubbles made their first public appearances. For those who enjoy the challenge of buying weanlings at the right price and turning them over for handsome profits the following year, this sale has been described as a pinhooker's paradise. 408 weanlings will be on offer over two days at the 2021 Great Southern Sale, June 13th and 14th at Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. My special guest is Neville Begg. 
It's well documented that the best horse you ever trained was this big, strong, grey girl called Emancipation. She won 19 from 28, six Group 1s, six Group 2s, one Group 3 and two listed wins. Her finest moment, Nev, I'm sure you'll agree, was in the 1983 Doncaster as a three-year-old filly. John, yes, she was, she was a great race mare. Um, when she first came to me, she uh, had come out of a, a paddock at Dubbo, actually. Uh, the great uh, Judge Les Young had leased her for Mr Bob Point and his, and his friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she first came to the stable, she was sort of a grey, she was half chestnut. And we did a little bit with her and we could see she needed a bit of time. So we... Uh, we turned her out, mm. and um, when she came back, she was a you know quite a handful of filly uh, to, to, uh, to train. My son Graham looked after her all his life, all all her racing career, mm. and uh, she eventually ran on the first start on uh, Bank Holiday Day, I think, uh, in the in the new season, which she won, and then she won four or five or something on in a trot, and we eventually we took her to Melbourne. And um, I had her in the Edward Manifold Stakes, which is a bit of a task, first first preparation. And at the time, um, we had a very good horse called Dalmatia tra- running in the Epsom on the same day. So Ron Quinton, who rode her in every start she had, bar this one, mm-hmm. I sent my apprentice Kevin Moses down to ride her, mm-hmm. and she won the Edward Manifolds. And Ronnie won the Epsom Dalmatia, so we had a good day. Mm, you certainly did. You know, at uh, the height of Sunline's fame, many people offered opinions as to the merits of these two great mares in different eras, Emancipation and Sunline. Could Mildred, as you called her, have beaten Sunline? Well, John, I think she'd been competitive right up to, um, well, a certain distance, up to my any rate, you know, I'd, I'd been... Mm. She, um, she was uh, could sit on the pace. She had good speed herself, but she could sit off sit off the pace and finish on very. Had a good turn of foot, mm. as I say. Um, and she she'd have been competitive with any of the better mares about, including Winks. Oh look, Winks was a bit of oh I would say one pace. She didn't have a great turn of foot, but she just kept on running. As I said, uh, she had been sitting on her and. She, might have outsprinted it to finish up to up to you know fourteen hundred or sixteen hundred, you know. Mm. So yeah. she'd, have been, she'd have been competitive with any of them, I think. Dalmatia, you've mentioned him already. He raced twenty four times. He won nine with four placings. He won an Epsom and a Group One Rawson Stakes. He won a couple of Group Twos and a listed. And uh, he won the Epsom the day Emancipation won the Edward Manifold in Melbourne. You couldn't get Ronnie Quinton off Dalmatia that day. Well, he, he always showed a lot of promise. He, he won early in the year. He, he'd won the um, New Year's Gift, which is a good race at Randwick, you know, and uh, and he com- went on from there. And I, he was a very good horse, um, unusual looking horse. He, his horse, Johnny, had two horns on his head. I've never mm. seen it before or after. He had these horns on his head. I saw Tristan, mm. and uh, how I come about him, I was just um, uh, going in and disabled that horse in Brisbane at the time. The gentleman put his head over the fence. He said, are you, are you, you beat like that? And I said, yes, I am. And uh, he said, I have horse for you. So I, I sort of didn't take much screed of it, you know, and then he mm. said, oh, I have Sir Tristan Colton, my ears pricked up, and so that's <laughs> become about him, you know, and <laughs> a gentleman called Jack Listika, um, mm. he, he was a great man, and uh, we we had a good relationship, and the horse uh, never looked back, he he did really well, he won a Shannon Handicap, he won an Epsom, you know, Rawson and Stakes, as you said, and mm. he's a very good racehorse, eventually went to stud, wasn't quite that successful at stud, you know, mm. but no. So when that bloke yelled over the fence, <laughs> had he said that the horse was by Bloggs Wallop, it could have been a different result. But Sir, <laughs> Sir Tristram were the key know. words. <laughs> a great gentleman called Eric Kerwin, a good trainer in Brisbane, um, 
he had picked him out as a yearling, so Eric was an outstanding judge of horses. Um, he did me two good turns in my life. Um, he brought a horse down from uh, Brisbane to stay with Mr McCartan and uh, with a boy called Merv Singh Ho, and they took the horse to Rose Hill one, and uh, at any rate, before they went back, Eric Coolan gave me £10 to buy the boys a drink. We had about 25 staff at that time. I said, well, this is not going to go very far. So I, bought, oh, I bought 10 quid's worth of lottery tickets, and it was just not long before Christmas, and uh, we, we were lucky enough to win second prize in the lottery, which was 2,000 quid. So Good heavens. We had all, he, he did me two good, two good turns in my life, Eric. So. so what year are we talking about, Neville? Oh, gee. 50s? Would have would have been in the uh, late fifties or something like that, you know. Yeah. Late fifties, early sixties, I'd say, you know. So twenty five kids at McCartan Stables chopped up two thousand pounds. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is good business. Now your nineteen eighty golden slipper win with dark eclipse was a pleasant surprise. You also had fiance in the race; she was favourite and Quinton elected to ride her. Yeah, Dark well, Eclipse jumped out of the ground in the two weeks leading up to that race, didn't she? Yes, yeah, she did. Well, Fiance had won the Silver Slipper, John, mm. and uh, the Jim Crack, Jim Crack and the Silver Slipper, and she looked pretty pretty promising. And uh, Mr and Mrs Tate owned her, and uh, who had taken over the horses from Phil Alotto after when he retired. Mm. And uh, she was a beautiful filly, Fiance, you know, and... Uh, for some reason or other, she wasn't quite as good in the autumn as she was in, in the spring because mm. she came back in the spring and won the flight stakes. Yeah. And Mad, um, Dark Eclipse uh, had sort of been in the background a little bit, uh, but she came out and she won the Magic Night the, the week before the slipper, you know, and I thought, oh, you know, she, she's got her in the slipper. So Kevin Moser rode her, mm. and uh, Kevin was a... Pretty confident sort of boy, you know, and he just sort of sat first in midfield on her mm. and um, come up with a late run and won comfortably, you know. She, mm. she was owned by a gentleman who unfortunately had passed away just prior to that, of course, Mr Murray Bain. Mm. Murray Bain was the uh, outstanding vet in the Scone area and it was left to his wife and his daughters to... Uh, Collect a trophy, you know. So unfortunately, Murray didn't live to live to see the, the fruits of his labour, you know, breeding her. Mm. It was a very emphatic win, Nev. I, I watched the replay again only recently. I mean, she absolutely thrashed him. Yes, she did. She came with a very, very strong run at the finish and uh, and uh, was quite dominant on that day. Um, she never quite gained any any further great heights. Uh, mm. But she, you know, she's a great, great little filly. Kevin Moses finished up winning three Sydney Jockeys Premierships and he was a highly regarded jockey in Sydney for many years. Kevin started off his apprenticeship with me. I don't think he'd ever been on the horse before he came to me and he, uh, we had a, a good relationship and then we still have. And and, and uh, Kevin's wife, um, who's married to now, she worked for me as a track rider. Jenny. Was, yeah, yeah, Jenny. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> she was a great, great girl, and she still is. We're very good friends. And uh, Kevin uh, had a couple of very big wins for me, uh, apart from winning on Emancipation. At Ed Manifold, he won, the, he, he won the Slipper, and he won the Sydney Cup on a mare called Palace Revolt for me, you know, which was run on... Probably the heaviest track I've ever run a horse on, you know. But, uh, yeah, Neb, they went around the outside fence in that Sydney Cup. Well, most of the field did, but Palace Revolt and another New Zealand horse went around the inside fence. Yes, yeah. She was a swimmer, wasn't she? <laughs> and she, uh, she she, could handle the, the mud. She won very easily, you know, won by big space. Yeah. Your association with Ron Quinton was one of the most enduring in Sydney racing history. You were together for 20 years. You both had a great work ethic, you communicated well and you got on very well together. Ronnie won eight premierships and he's the first to admit that he couldn't have achieved that without your support. Well, we, we got on very, very well, Ron and I, you know, and we still do, you know, and 
It was, it was outstanding, Ryder. When he finished his apprenticeship and he decided if he was going to sort of reach better heights, he, he, he'd done very well as an apprentice. And, uh, and uh, he decided to come to Randwick and see how Green had moved from Rosal to Randwick also, which made it easier for him. And uh, and Ron did very, very well for me. He wrote, you know, apart from the big race, he wrote lots and lots of winners for me, you know. Uh, we used to even fly to Newcastle on the Tuesday. They used to have Tuesday meetings in those days, and mm. we'd fly up to Newcastle and, and go there. And I'll never forget one day um, we had a couple of runners at Geelong, and uh, Ron and I, we flew to Melbourne. Graham met us at Tullamarine with a helicopter. We got the helicopter to Geelong. Both our runners won. And we both back on the helicopter. And we we're back in Sydney by, by about seven o'clock. So we had a we had a eventful day, day you know. Mm. November rain was a great staying filly. Oh, she was just an outstanding staying filly. She'd had a, a two two or three runs before she came to me. Uh, she, they'd been training her up at uh, the farm up at Muskoka, um, and. Um, I got her and she, I think she won a, a, a 1900 at Canterbury or something like that, a 1900 metre maiden at Canterbury. So we decided to go to Melbourne and, and she was got into the weight form limit, you know, because she hadn't won a, a certain amount of prize money and she won that. Mm-hmm. And then we backed up and she won the Oaks, AJC Oaks, and then we rested her. Uh, but when she came back, she was had a peculiar problem. She went dry coated. Yeah, she couldn't sweat it, and um, she used to sort of pant like a dog a bit, you know. And mm. then I thought, oh, she'd, she'd finish, you know, she won't do any good. And about ten days before the AJC Oaks, it turned quite cold, mm. and she picked up and she brightened up, and anyway, she won the AJC Oaks. Mm. Um, and I, I backed up the runner in the ledger, mm. and she won the ledger. Yeah. I think just a dash finished behind her, who's a subsequent Melbourne Cup winner. Mm. Um, then we took her to Queensland, and she won the Queensland Oaks. And then I ran her in the Derby, which I probably shouldn't have done, but she, I think she ran third in the Derby. But uh, she was right staying me. And then I, I said to Mr. Point, you know, look, she's got this problem. She can't sweat. You know, she's going to be... Um, under pressure all the time in training and that. So we retired her there and then. And uh, didn't become a great broodmare, but she did, she did sire a few winners, uh, throw a few winners, you know, and is, is now sort of the granddam of a few winners also, you know. Mm. You were very sorry to lose a little horse called Veloso when he had an ownership change in the early 1980s. Now, you had him for 12 starts. You won a Fernhill Handicap and a Spring Champion Stakes and you were placed with him in the Gloaming, the Champagne, the Caulfield Guineas, the Caulfield Cup and the Victoria Derby and then he went to Mal Barnes. That's right. Well, Mr. Mr. Collier owned him and they decided they, uh, to sell him for some reason or other. Uh, he, 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 was, he was a very good horse, an outstanding little horse. You know, he won the champion stakes, as you say, got narrowly beaten in the core film guineas. But I, I admit, I think I made a mistake at the time. I probably should have run him in, in the uh, Cox Plate. Mm. Instead, I decided that I, in my mind, I thought he needed to run over uh, a longer distance. So I run him in the Caulfield Cup. Which he ran third in, and then he uh, he ran third in the VRC Derby, and then they they decided to sell him. So uh, uh, Mr. Singleton bought him and uh, and gave him Melbourne's, you know. Mm. And then he turned around. He, he did win the Sydney Cup, and then won a McKinnon Stakes later on. He's a very good horse, you know. Mm. Well, here's one for the old timers, Nev. We're going back to the early 1970s. You trained a grey filly called Sufficient. Now, the first time you clapped eyes on her, you were horrified. She looked like Charlie Chaplin with the feet pointing outwards, but when she galloped, it was a different story. Yes, uh, sufficient is owned by a gentleman called Mr Gordon Reid, who managed a country property called Gunaganoo, and she was raised up there, a good old horseman, 
they'd broken her in and that, and she came down. But when you looked at us in front of her, John, she stood, she stood like Charlie Chaplin. She had <laughs> one foot going one way, one the other one going the other way, you know, and I thought, yeah. gee, look at this, you know. Mm. Any rate, cut a long story short, she, um, she come along, and, but the minute she put her foot on the track, mm. the way she went, she was, she was a beautiful mover, and uh, she won the Jim Crack Stakes. Um, she ran second in the slip of the Hearts Hill. Mm. Um, and also then she went on, she won a Caulfield Thousand Guineas, she won an AJC Oaks, so a prolific winner, you know, she's all distance sprints, mile and a half, you know, very, very good filly, you know. Mm. I seem to remember a gigantic rap on another filly you trained, probably a bit later than sufficient, by the name of Carpalaren. Was she as good as they all said? Oh, John, uh, you know, she was the, the opposite, the sufficient. It was a bit of a plain Jane. Mm. Carpalaren was a queen, you know. She looked, she stood out. She just a beautiful-looking filly, you know. Mm. Mr Quanko had bought her at the at the sale. She'd buy showdown. Mm. Um and uh, she was just a beautiful filly, you know. She uh, she won quite a number of races. I think she won a far lap, the gloaming, uh, got beat in the champion stakes run fourth and that, I think. Won a thousand guineas. Uh, got beat got beat half a head in the uh, in the weight form and then on a place in the Oaks, you know. Mm. She was a very good filly. But unfortunately, since she bowed a tendon and she went to start and unfortunately died Folding, folding, you know, so we mm. lost a beautiful meet, you know. You won another VRC Oaks with a filly called Sandy's Pleasure, ridden by a very young Jimmy Cassidy. Yes, no, Sandy's Pleasure's come out the blue. She did a little bit like November rain. She'd won a, a little race uh, in town on the Wednesday in Sydney and uh, any rate, uh, we decided to take her to Melbourne and she ran in the wakeful and, and Jimmy rode her and uh, she jumped at me. She led, led by a big march and she really went hard and fast and faded, faded at the finish. And mm. any rate, um, I said to Jim, I said, Jim, I was going to run this filly in the Oaks. You know, I couldn't run it on that. He said, oh, don't worry. She'll do better in the Oaks <laughs> and I'll ride her. So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good judge. <laughs> At any rate, she ran in the house and she sat in behind him, of course, come along and won, you know. Mm. Judy Ann was another nice filly you had to win a flight stakes and a WA Oaks. And in keeping with your reputation as a filly trainer, I think you told me this yourself, you won the Oaks 11 times in three states, New South Wales, Victoria and WA, 11 Oaks. John, I was fortunate enough to have the police to do it. You know, we won, we won the, the Queensland Oaks four times. Mm. Um, so we were lucky enough to do that, you know. And uh, uh, I think we won the, the Western Australian Oaks twice. Um, I'd, won the wake, I'd won the Wakeful Stakes four times. Yeah. And of those, um, only, one, only one of mine had won the Oaks. That was November rain. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, all the others have run very well every time. And I, I ran second in, in the wakeful three times, and each time I won, I got beaten. The horse beat me, won the Oaks. So yeah. it's probably the best guide of any any race in Australia, uh, the wakeful stakes to the Oaks. You know, the ones that run well on the wakeful, win it or run in place, mm. they generally win the Oaks. Yeah, and they've got five days, Nev, to get over it. I think that's, that's, right. that's the difference, right. isn't it? It's not two days, it's five. Five days, yeah. They generally back up very well. Yeah. Another lovely mare you trained was Heat of the Moment for the late Ross Cribb, who around that time was the chairman of the New South Wales TAB and uh, one of the nicest blokes it was my pleasure to meet in racing. She was by Blazing Saddles. Nev, she won two Group 1s, a Chipping Norton and a George Ryder. John, I regarded Mr Cribb as, as not only a, an owner, as a very good friend. He was very, very kind to me uh, throughout my training. I trained a couple of good fillies for him, fillie called Arcassier, who I also won the uh, the wakeful. Mm-hmm. Um, heat at the moment was a little filly that you wouldn't take two looks at her, as you saw in, at the sale, say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was a, a, just a plain little thing and not very big, only a small filly. Uh, 
right out looking over the stable door, you know, but she mm. uh, she, she always shows she could go up a bit, you know. She uh, she eventually... Uh, uh, Jimmy Jimmy also rode her in the, in the 1,000 guineas. Mm. She, we, we took her to Melbourne, she won the th- run the 1,000 guineas, come from nowhere and run second. Mm. Jimmy said, oh, gee, I didn't, didn't know you thought this thing could gallop her that well. I said, no, she... <laughs> either one, otherwise, you know. Yeah. Anyway, then we run into the wakeful, and she won the wakeful also, and uh, mm. eventually she won the rider. She won the rider stakes, and amongst other races, and uh, she was just a top pass to me, you know. Mm. And I think she might have run a place. Uh, it isn't a Doncaster. So yes, I think, I think she did. Yeah, she ran a place in Doncaster, yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the one that got away, Neville. Best Western. You were the trainer when he won his first couple of races. You certainly knew how good he was. Suddenly he was sold and the new owners sent him to Bart. He won another five, the Spring Treble, the Peter Pan, Gloaming and Spring Champion Stakes amongst them. John, it was a very, very promising colt. He won his first two starts pretty comfortably. Um it was quite wet at that time, and I wanted to run him in a slipper, you know, which he loved the wet, you know, and uh, and uh, they decided to sell the horse beforehand. Of course, he eventually didn't run the slipper, and uh, and, and Bart got him, and he he did very very well well with him. Um, yeah, he uh, he was a very good horse. Um, so there was a couple that we lost, and uh, I had another good horse too. I picked him out in New Zealand and I got Harry Lawton to buy him, mm. a horse called Bureaucracy. Oh, yeah. Um, and he won his first two starts for me in Sydney. Um, looked very promising. And But because we bought him in New Zealand, he's going to the Magic Million. Yeah. We took him to New, back to New Zealand for the Magic Million. And unfortunately, he got a stone bruise and couldn't run. Mm. And uh, But... You'll, you'll be surprised when I tell you who took him over for me. He was my my strap at the time, Johnny Murta, who <laughs> who was a champion jockey mm. and now a champion trainer in Ireland. You know, so Johnny took him over for me. We unfortunately couldn't run the horse, and when he came back, uh, I'd had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong, and Harry didn't want to leave the horse with Graham, so he gave him to Jack Denham, and he eventually, he, he also won a rider. He did. He won a Group 1 with Ken Russell on board. <laughs> he was a very, very good race horse, so that's another one we lost, you know. Mm. So, well, yeah, you... I'm sorry, John, but there's another one that I could tell you about. I trained for Mr. Mister Moses, mm. um, who was also a part owner of Star Kingdom, and that. He, he sent me two fillies, and... Uh, did a bit of work with them, turned them out and went back to his farm. When they come back to the stables, he he said one day, he said, uh, Neville, I, 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 want, I, want to, uh, I want to give one of these fillies to Tommy Smith, but you have your pick. But oh. me being as smart as I thought I was, I picked the Star Kingdom filly, mm. who eventually won a maiden on a Wednesday somewhere, yeah. and uh, <laughs> Canterbury probably, and the other one was a gold slipper winner. Fairy Walk. <laughs> so I, had a, I had a golden slipper when I gave it to Tommy Smith. <laughs> yeah, so you lost bureaucracy, you lost Belozo, you lost Best Western, and you missed out on a golden slipper winner, Fairy War. Still, Neb, there were plenty of good times too. John, that's the ups and downs of racing, yeah. Mm. Well, you and your wife, Yvonne, have contributed largely to the population of the Commonwealth by producing six kids. Three of each. One of the boys, of course, Graham, has gone on to a very distinguished career as a trainer with 14 Group 1 winners to his credit. He's currently training from the Mornington Peninsula and he seems to be enjoying it. Yeah, Graham's done very well. Uh, my old son, Neil, he's, he's a master saddler. He works up from Rambic Racecourse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, second son, Martin, Martin is a... Uh, a barrier attendant for the ATC, works at all the tracks and barrier trials. Mm. Uh, he's married to a beautiful wife, Leanne Begg, who's the, one of the major vets in Sydney. Mm. Um, um, my daughter, 
Linda was married to Wayne Harris, who uh, they're now divorced, but uh, she's took a very big part in my racing. She ran my offices and and uh, did, did took me to the races. I, as I've n- never driven a car, mm. uh, the girls used to drive me about, and my daughters, uh, the two daughters, Carmel Size, well, she married John Size in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, they were now part of it again, and then and, and my other daughter, Carolyn. Carolyn's... Um, a social worker at one of our major hospitals, but she's also a punter, so they're all all involved somewhere or other. Yeah, now where does she get this penchant for the punt? I think she gets it from her mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she does. Yvonne has always loved the little dabble and nothing's changed. I, I can tell you a little story. I won the Doombin 10,000 and uh, I was very happy with myself. I caught the plane home at night and uh, my wife and the two girls met me at the airport and they're really happy and that myself. I thought they were happy because I'd won the Doombin 10,000. But as it turned out, uh, Yvonne, I'd, I'd also had a couple of runners at Rose Hill and one of them had won and the other run, run third. And the one that won was 101. So anyway, Yvonne had the only tote ticket for the trifecta on Good. that race, and she scooped the pool. That's in the early days of the trifecta. So, so it wasn't... So a, it, those smiles <laughs> weren't uh, weren't to welcome you home from Brisbane. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so she, she, she got the she had, she had the only winning ticket on the trifecta at yeah. those hills, so she was pretty happy. <laughs> I think many people were surprised when, in 1990, you suddenly relocated to Hong Kong as a jockey club trainer. A new life, a new culture. What prompted that decision? Well, John, things slowed down a lot. I hadn't been offered any young horses. Um, a lot of my owners had retired or passed away, and that, and, uh, mm. and things had quieted down quite remarkably in the stable. And we didn't have very, very few new horses coming in. So Kieran Moore, who was uh, working with Dr. Bill Burns at the time, they were doing the. Uh, selecting the horses for Hong Kong and uh, uh, Kieran rang me and said, look, there's a position coming up in Hong Kong. Would you be interested? I said, well, I'd be interested, but I'd never ever thought about doing it. Mm. And so he said, I'll ring this fellow in Hong Kong and have a talk to him. So I rang, I rang Hong Kong and they said, are you really interested? Well, I said, yes, I am. You know, they said, well, We'll fly, we'll fly you up and you can have a look and see what you're thinking. And I thought, I wouldn't go without my wife. So we both flew up and they showed us round and um, we said, oh, let's, let's have a go, you know. So we went into a sort of vacant flat. We had to furnish it ourselves and that. And anyway, we, we, we liked the outlook of it and the stables were close handy. And so we, we decided to make the move, you know. And then I went to the AJC committee and told them, and I asked for could Graham take over my stables, and they they allowed him to take over half of my stable, mm. and Bill Mitchell took over the other half, you know. So, right. uh, yeah. so it gave Graham a start, and it gave me a new start. So it all worked out very well in the, in the end, you know. And you never trained again in Australia. Oh, no, no, I didn't. No, oh, I was lucky enough to win one of the international races, John. I won the international bowl with a horse called Winning Partners, mm. uh, and then I bought. Horse ever made that I'd trained uh, in Sydney at the yearling sales, and the gentleman that owned Winning's Park, Winning Partners, decided to come in half with me. So we decided to race the horse, and the horse showed a lot of promise. So he's done very, very well. And Graham nominated him for the for the bowl, mm. the international bowl. So he he was on the emergency and. Horse Lee Friedman's was going to be in it, and he went to the beach and cut his foot on the on the bottle, mm. and Monopolis got the run, and subsequently went up and Wayne Harris rode him, and he won. Mm. And came from well back, as he often did. Yes, he did, he did. And then uh, the same thing happened, even though he hadn't won in the previous years. He was on the reserve for the second year, and fortunately got a, got a run. And in the meantime, Wayne had taken ill, and Darren Biedman rode him, and he won again. So yeah. we won the we won the international bowl three years in a row. Mm. So it was great, 
great time, you know. So, uh, and they had a retiring age, John, of sixty-five. Yep. And then I'd I'd reach that by nineteen ninety-six, just before the the handover, mm-hmm. and uh, ne- never never won a premiership or anything like that, but did did reason, reasonably well up there, you know. And enjoyed it. Oh, look, John, it was a great lifestyle. Like as I said, up in Hong Kong. Every day was like New Year's Eve. Um, subsequent events, it might never be the same. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, mm. um, we were we were very very happy. Mm. It must be a, a sobering thought when you reflect on the fact that it is seventy four years since you walked into Morris McCartan's stables. John, it's. It's more than a lifetime, isn't it, really? You know, um, I've been very, very fortunate. I've um, had fairly good health right through. I've never had any really serious problems, you know. Uh, um, but I've um, I've managed to keep going. As I said, I've slowed down. I've got a, I've got a walker to help me now, so I can I'm, I can get around pretty good. And I've got the interest of the. Uh, the the colt at stud now was written by at stud. I've got a couple of mares in foal to him, mm. and uh, and a couple of horses in work with Graham. So you know we we keep an interest, you know. Yeah, and there's always a fleeting possibility that Yvonne is going to strike another whopping big trifecta. Well, look, she she's become a non non punter lately. <laughs> <laughs> She likes watching, but she doesn't. Uh, she's not getting, you know. She does. She's she's past that stage of, of punting now. You know, she used to have, but you know, five dollar dabble or that. But she's just happy to watch them now. Neville Begg, I am deeply honoured that you've given me so much of your time today for the podcast, and I've enjoyed every minute of our chat. Thank you so much, John. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Neville Begg, and this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound.